You're listening to the Going Offsides podcast. Your home for lacrosse news, stories, and everything in between. So, Coach, thanks for taking the time. Um, you know, we're interested to get, to, you know, we, we're both very familiar with the MCLA from, from the outside, but we would love to kind of educate people on a few things that they might not know. And then especially this year in particular, because it's a, it seems like a hodgepodge of decisions across the country because, you know, the MCLA, unlike everybody else has so many different types of schools all playing under one banner that uh, I imagine that everybody's doing something a little bit different. So why don't we start with that? What is, what is, you know, what is South Carolina doing? Um, well, firstly, I appreciate y'all having me. Um, I, I just want to say I came across, I, I didn't come across y'all until, uh, last week, mm-hmm. and, um, went back over the weekend. I was in the car a good bit and listened to a couple of the, uh, episodes and, uh, really like what y'all are doing. So I'm flattered and appreciate you having me on. Um, hodgepodge is a good word. Um, uh, <laughs> you know, I've had a a number of these conversations in the last few months and a year ago, what I would have told you is in my opinion, a, um, a positive in the flexibility and, um, autonomy that are a lot of our schools and different programs are afforded within the MCLA, um, has now become our Achilles heel in the scenario that we're presented with, with the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, there aren't any, there, there aren't any right answers and wrong answers, right? You know, everybody's trying to do their best and figure it out and what works for them in the various situations that uh, everybody's in a different situation. Um, You know, all the States handling things in, different ways you know we're spread out across the nation uh even a bit more than the ncaa as far as coverage and what different states uh our school member schools are in so you know um it's frustrating but um for us uh, speaking for our group we're we're trying to make the best of it and do what we can um uh, but, you know, looking around, it, it's every school, my perception is that the administrators at each school um, have different lenses that they view varsity sports versus club sports. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, all the different schools handle things differently, how our administration operates in an, even in normal times. Is differently than say uh, Georgia Tech and Cal and uh, Liberty and Florida State, and none of those operate the same way either. Everybody's got their own little how it goes, and, and I think that's true no matter where you go. But there are certain things I know about the NCAA that uh, make communication and uniformity a little bit uh, easier. Um, but 
my perception is that a lot of these administrations are uh, looking around at each other and even communicating with each other and saying, look, we're, these are, this is kind of the rules that we've put in place. What are you guys doing? And everybody's kind of nobody or very few schools appear to be willing to be the ones to take a chance or be the mm -hmm. first people to do, you know, something outside the box. And um, I'm trying not to knock anybody. Um, it, it's certainly frustrating. There's no question it's frustrating. Uh, but I understand uh, at the end of the day, my assumption is a lot of the decision-making comes down to liability and what mm -hmm. they think they can control. Um, and so whether it's perception or not, um, I, I think a lot of folks have, it's, it's been easier to say, no, we're not gonna do this than to come up with solutions. Um, and you know, uh, I regret that this is sounding so negative because a lot of the people are good people and have been, you know, putting in efforts to, to, to do certain things. But um, I can speak uh, for our conference and uh, conference members. There's been um, a lot of folks that have put time and energy into, um, you know, pursuing a safe and well thought out um, procedures for competition to occur and um you know it it's been fruitless thus far but that's not going to stop us from continuing to ask and see where we can set something up so i've rambled a bit but for, for <laughs> us uh, at south carolina we are not currently approved for competition uh, okay. because of some per specific blanket rules that have been applied towards all student uh, organizations across campus and, and events gotcha. that are put on by student organizations across campus. Um, and that, that uh, seems to be a common thread amongst uh, many of our conference schools and how they're dealing with this. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. I mean, in terms of everything, like, you know, you, you can obviously speak for, you know, for, you know, the institution you're at. I mean, and, and you just kind of said it with some of the other schools in your conference, they're kind of dealing with the same thing. Is that kind of, you know, I mean, obviously you said just that the scope of the MCLA is it's a national, I mean, you count Simon Fraser in that as well. You know, you're talking, now you're dealing with a whole nother, you know, scope of issues and who knows what's going on with that. All kinds of answers and responses from all kinds of Mm -hmm. geographic regions so you know there are people right next to each other or in the same conference in the same area and some are saying yeah we'd like to go let's make this happen and some are saying we're shut down for the year um and then there's a bunch that appear to be in limbo and a little bit uh, not sure like they're not they're allowed to practice uh their schools continue to tell them we have an interest in trying to make this happen but um but they're not approved for competition, outside of competition. So uh, my perception right now is that most schools are in that middle range, um, the unknown, so to speak. And there are some that have come out and said, we're not playing at all this year. Uh, we're done for the season. And there are some that are playing and have already played. Um, so, and again, yeah, region, uh, there are, there are, 
been some patterns in our conference, but there are a few schools that um, are indicating to us that they, their administrations are ready to let them play. And, you know, they just want to confirm certain details of testing protocols and things like that. Gotcha. Um, but so it's, it's really all over the place. Um, yeah. And that makes it difficult to plan it. Uh, you know, you roll with the punches right now is it, it's, we've been saying it for a year and it's very frustrating, but um, certainly I do think there's light at the end of the tunnel here for a lot of reasons. Yeah. It certainly seems like we're trending in the right direction where schools are trying to make this happen as long as they can and do it safely. Um, more schools are trying, I think, than are not trying. And I think, you know, it's tough for everybody. I mean, we, we, we understand how MCLA budgets work for the most part. It's not being run through club sports or anything like that. So yet you have to, you know, coaches more or less, if, if kids aren't paying dues and aren't playing, then coaches aren't getting paid and it's just, everything's at a standstill. And so it's extremely sloppy. Um, it's not as cut and dry as it is at a, at an NCAA or even an NAIA program. So, um, I don't know how familiar you are with familiar you are with the development of this invitational idea, or if you had any, you know, if you were a part of any conversations, but from the best of your knowledge, how did this kind of idea come to be? Um, I'm not involved in, in those conversations. Um, I, a little bit of assumption here on my part, but I got to believe knowing uh, the people that are having these conversations and helping make these decisions, I think they're trying to strike a balance of how do we plan for something and to allow for something to have an opportunity um, where we aren't going to eat our shirt and, uh, you know, not really knowing what the possibilities are, are going to come with it. So mm-hmm. um, I do think that... I, I'm not, uh, you know, the responses I've given about who's playing and who's not and all that, uh, truth be told, are pretty well uh, focused on the Division One side of things in the MCLA. And I, I really haven't, uh, I don't have an awareness of, uh, from the Division Two um, bracket, who is playing and who isn't. Um, and that's, you know, I just tend to kind of get, you know, tunnel vision on mm-hmm. things that are affecting us. But Yeah. And for those of you who don't know, the MCLA this year decided to move away from their national championship model where they have a national tournament and make it into an invitational, which like you just said, provides an outlet for some kind of postseason feel, some closure, if you will, and make it feel like a real season, but also acknowledging that it's not a true national cha- championship because a lot of teams aren't playing. And, uh, you know, it's just, I think it's a good effort. And I think what they're doing by having this cutoff is, is also very smart where, where they're saying like, you need to have 30 programs committed to playing in this thing by March 15th or else they're not going to be able to pull it off in May. So, I mean, they're giving themselves only two months to put this whole thing together, which I think is ambitious, but, but doable. And it also gives them a way out where if things, you know, trend in the opposite direction of where they are right now, um, you know, they, they have time to kind of 
cut and run and, and save themselves quite a bit of grief. So uh, hats off to the MCLA for uh, attempting to do something. I, I, I know that that's really tough. And, and if you don't have the resources like these D1, you know, every level other than D1 and even the bottom level of D1 struggles to have the same resources of testing protocols and travel budgets and all this stuff. So I think it's a great uh, compromise in, in this year specifically. So hats off to the MCLA for that. Now, shifting away a little bit, and, and we'll round back to the MCLA at the end, but shifting away, how does someone who played at UMBC and, and Ryan and I did our homework, whose entire family essentially wow. went to UMBC. They're all retrievers, man. All retrievers. <laughs> how, how do you end up in South Carolina, uh, you know, doing, you know, you're a lawyer and coaching club lacrosse. Like I, I have to feel like there, that wasn't an accident where you just showed up randomly or one of these stories where you drove by a field and you saw lacrosse being played and you're like, Hey, can I help out? So I, I refuse to believe that that was the case. So why don't you give us a little bit of a insight into all of that? Sure. Um, <clears throat> so I, uh, when finishing up in school, um, I applied to a couple of law schools and you know, I didn't really know what practicing law was going to be like, didn't much know anything about any, the legal profession at all. Um, my mother's grandfather had been a judge <laughs> in California. Um, but, you know, I, I think, I'm not sure when he passed, but I didn't know him. Uh, and I didn't have any other attorneys in the family. I have an uncle that uh, is an attorney in Georgia now. He was in Pennsylvania for a long time. I'd never really asked him about any of that, but my mom <laughs> uh, always said I was good at arguing and that I should look at going to law school. So uh, I followed that advice. Um, she, you know, she, my parents both said, it would probably be an asset regardless of whether you end up practicing law or not, if you go into business or anything else. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I not really knowing what else I wanted to do coming out of school. Um, I, I took that opportunity and actually uh, <laughs> maybe we'll get into this later, maybe not, but I, my only other option besides going to law school following uh, graduation was to be a volunteer assistant at High Point, and Ooh, um, okay. that was it. Was with uh, Coach Tracy, who had been a coach uh, assistant for us at UMBC, had just uh, gone down that summer to coach with uh, Coach Torpy, um, and I, you know, I believe they are uh, buddies from high school and college, and. Um, so I, uh, it was kind of a last minute thing uh, right in the summer. I came down to South Carolina or I applied to South Carolina um, because I have you know family down this way and knew about the climate and um, the atmosphere and uh, thought it would be enjoyable to be living around here. So um, I, was waiting to hear back. I was waitlisted to law school and, you know, kind of waiting to hear back about that and uh, didn't have much other direction. But then Coach Tracy called me up middle of the summer and said, are you interested in this? 
and I very much was, and it made it a tough decision because I think it was the same week I got a phone call for, hey, you got into the University of South Carolina School of Law. Hey, do you want to come coach at High Point? And um, uh, in retrospect, uh, I think I would have, I, I have no regrets. I, all the decisions that I've made, you know, I, I'm happy where I'm at in life and the, you know, the direction things are going, but um, I love coaching. And mm-hmm. I mean, I get a lot of, uh, you know, for me personally, I get a lot out of it. Uh, I'd like to think I bring a lot to the table and uh, provide a lot for my guys. Um, and so sometimes I think I do the what if game uh, if I had made a different choice. But um, yeah, I, I picked South Carolina for law school. My family is all over the place. And uh, my buddies in college used to rib me about it. You know, uh, I can it probably annoyingly so jump into a conversation and somebody will mention a place and I'll probably know somebody in the area or have visited. Uh, my mom was a Navy brat and uh, has five sisters and we're primarily East Coast, but spread out all over the place. Um, my dad's family is originally from, from South Florida, um, Lakeland, Bartow, and uh, they bounced around. My, my dad lived in Kansas, uh, Tennessee, um, uh, Florida for a while. Uh, and then he moved to New Jersey when he was in high school and picked up lacrosse there and never put it down. And um, so I got people all over the place in uh, South Carolina, grew up visiting, uh, visiting family, living in Charleston. Um, and, you know, I, I said to you guys early on that the weather's hard to beat. And uh, that was a big piece of it for me, having grown up in Maryland and Virginia and, uh, you know, five years at UMBC, I was awful sick of the mid-Atlantic weather, um, you know, and for, for that, for me, it's like the, the not knowing what you're going to get one, you know, in the spring and in the fall to a lesser extent, you can have a day when it's 60 and then the next day it's freezing rain and snow, wintry mix. Uh, I was, uh, I was pretty sick of that. We'll be back after a word from our sponsor. And so how do you find yourself, you know, you're on campus going to law school. How do you find yourself coaching at South Carolina? Like how does, how does the club job kind of get approached by you or, or did someone find you or hear that you had, you know, a high level like playing experience and then you just kind of fell into it or, you know, how did you make that jump from just being a student at USC to actually coaching? So my first year um, here in grad school, I knew a couple of guys on the team. Um, and, you know, you guys know lacrosse is a small world and it's easy to make connections. And uh, I think that's one of the beauties of the sport, you know, as much as, as anybody else that's involved, I'd like to see it grow and want to uh, bring it to new areas, get more people involved. It's still 
a tight community. And I think, uh, I think that's fun. Um, knew a couple of guys on the team. I came out to a couple of practices uh, that fall and didn't, you know, didn't really know what to expect. Um, they were all great guys. Uh, I went to a few practices and for a handful of reasons, um, I, I just said, hey, I, I can't do this right now. I was going to focus on school. Um, and that was honestly uh, important for me because I've never been a great student. Um, I, I like to think of myself as an intelligent person, but, um, you know, even as a student athlete, as an undergrad student athlete, I, I was able to get away with a lot of things, uh, you know, for myself, I, you know, I can write papers well. So I was a history major. I didn't have to worry so much about studying for tests and stuff. I could put a lot of things uh, off until the last moment. And it took me a little while and law school was surely a wake up call about, you know, being more prepared and thorough. Um, so I didn't, uh, I didn't do anything with lacrosse for those three years after a couple of practices. And um, then the same guy that I knew, the, the guy I knew best, uh, that was a senior uh, in 2012, spring 2012, um, Brent Nielsen. A uh, guy from Annapolis, good dude. Uh, actually, his brother is an attackman at Ohio State. Um, he was coaching then, and he had stayed local. He'd stayed in Columbia after graduating. Um, he was coaching, and he called me up in the summer of 2014. And so I just finished law school, um, you know, that spring semester that was the wrapping it up and he called me up and said uh we need some help coaching uh you know I, I, there's always a little bit of flux uh with assistant coaches especially um so are you interested and at that point uh you know I was getting into a job but I didn't have school to worry about so it was a little bit more singular focused and um, I was lucky enough to be uh, in a good situation with the job that I had. Um, I got in with a small firm uh, with uh, some folks and the senior male partner, uh, Ken Lester, was a football player, baseball player uh, at, at the University of South Carolina. And um, older guy, uh, great guy, and a huge sports advocate. And um, so it was a good, really good situation for me to be able to balance uh, being a young guy in a new situation and figuring out what the job was like and learning and growing in that and getting back into lacrosse. And um, it was just a, a right place, right time, a lot of good situations happening. Um, and it didn't take but one practice getting back out and uh, just floodgates opened as far as uh, the, my hiatus for a couple years was nice in, in that I didn't realize 
uh, the, what I was missing and it helped me appreciate it so much more when I got it back. Um, and so, yeah, I, for a year, I was an assistant coach and uh, we had a pretty good year. And um, the year after, uh, there was a bunch of things going on. The head coach was a great guy and he had been a, um, a player himself at South Carolina. Uh, he was a guy who played football too and was recruited to play football, uh, came out and then uh, wasn't for him and decided to play lacrosse again, had come from San Diego, uh, great guy. Um, he had coached for a couple of years, but had some, uh, he was getting involved in work and had some on and off again things. Uh, I don't think he had coached the season prior to me getting involved, but then he came back. So anyway, um, the guys, the officers of the team at the end of the year uh, or going into the next year asked if I'd be interested in being the head coach. And um, I mean, I jumped on it. I was, who wouldn't be? And uh, it was, it's been a lot of fun. So let's stay on the USC thing for, for a little bit longer, because I I have a question for you and, and maybe you can explain this to everybody that doesn't really quite grasp the MCLA recruiting, you know, Ryan and I have seen a lot of it comes down to the type of school you're at, obviously like large public schools tend to be a little bit easier to attract bigger rosters, a, and then B it, it, it's a little bit of luck too, as a head coach, because like, okay, South Carolina just happens to have kids from all over up and down the East coast. And also some kids from the West coast, you know, it, it's the same with, um, you know, like up here, Michigan state, they, they've got kids from all over New York or Michigan too. When they were a club program, they had kids from all over New York and, and Maryland and all the private schools out there. So these are kids that easily were like borderline low level D one kids what is kind of the key from the coach's perspective to recruiting the MCLA? Because I know that it's not so much, uh, it, it's not at all what people think of when they think of traditional recruiting of, Hey, I'm just going to go, I'm, I'm going to offer this kid and he's going to come here. But there are those kids that you can kind of convince like, Hey, this is a viable option for you. If you weren't really sure if you like really want to pursue like an NCAA, like D3 or D1, maybe you do want to go to a large public school that has everything you ever wanted and yeah, play club lacrosse. So what's, what's it like from your perspective and then how do you sell it to your, your recruits? Um, I think everybody's in a unique situation. Each school um, has a lot of different factors going on and uh, that, that could be program specific lacrosse specific or it could be talking about the campus environment you know adding in stuff um just so i don't know that there's a one size fits all key to success i think um but i think that's true of any level uh you know i regardless mcla ncaa i think um the folks that are most successful recruiting, so to speak, is are the folks that are true to themselves 
and you know and are true to the university you know this is what you see is what you get and you know here's who we are uh we wear ourselves on our sleeves and um you know if if you're the fit here you're gonna do well here if if we're a fit for you you'll be a fit for us and it'll work out um i think that I wish that was more the focus from the recruit side as well. And, and, you know, I mean, that's, that's a whole different conversation, right? But um, genuinely, I, um, I don't proactively recruit. I will go to uh, events and stuff. And especially throughout COVID, I've been trying to go to different local recruiting stuff just to scratch the itch because uh, we've been missing lacrosse so much and it's haven't had the opportunities to watch and see and uh, be on the sidelines. But um, I don't reach out to guys and say, hey, come take a look at us. Um, I am reactive and, you know, even then uh, it's been difficult this year with everything that's going on and uh, everybody's spread thin. Um, but I try to get back to guys that reach out to me and say, um, I'm interested in what the program's about. And I'm honest with them. I, we, we talk about uh, what we do and uh, what goes into it from a monetary aspect. You know, we're, we're essentially run like a fraternity. Uh, we have dues for the year. We, you know, we don't charge you by semester. Um, but you have to have skin in the game. Now we do fundraising stuff throughout the year, but it doesn't uh, cover the expenses. And so we, uh, you know, our, our leadership, our student leadership, our officers do an excellent job of uh, putting things together, facilitating everything and, uh, you know, working the budgets and uh, getting dues out to guys and working with our, our guys who, need payment plan options and all that kind of thing. Um, but, you know, some people are okay with that and some people don't want any part of that. And that's understandable. Um, I don't want somebody to get here on campus thinking it's something that it's not and uh, not having a, a real understanding of the ins and outs of what's going on. So, um, you know, that that's, for me, that's what we've done is just being honest about uh, who we are and what we try to do and on the field and off the field. And, um, and then I got to say, I'm very blessed with the surroundings that I have because the campus is beautiful and it's hard for folks to come down and walk around and not put it on the list as far as hey, I'm going to look into it or, or think twice about it. Um, you know, the weather, the, it's easy to get to for relative to most other SEC spots. Um, you know, it's straight down 95 if you're coming from anywhere in the Northeast. Um, and it's a relatively easy plane ride too, um, you know, if you're into that these days. Um, but again, I think... I don't think there's any one size fits all for our league. Um, you gotta, 
so everybody does different things and and there are some programs that have uh, certain things to offer that we can. And so, um, you know, uh, for us, what has worked, uh, it's, I've been blessed with the surroundings. And so we have so many guys that I don't even realize are on campus. I mean, we, I have so many guys that come out every year that I've not heard, heard of or heard from before they show up and uh you know and they're players and so that certainly is a blessing and um you know we then we it makes our job easier to just roll the ball out and and look for guys that are hungry to compete and um you know trying to make something happen all the time and and uh if you can stack those kinds of guys up then um it it makes it easier to, uh, I think, have a competitive team year in or year out, regardless of X's and O's and all the rest that you're doing, if you're competing with each other every day. Um, you know, I think all the rest of it is uh, just that much easier. I have, a, I have a question for you, back to, back to the UMBC stuff. So during your time there, 2007 to 11 ish yep. does that kind of encapsulate everything yep. who was your yeah. biggest rival and why was it albany <laughs> uh, um you know i think i love the america east because there's a lot of teams that come out of nowhere uh year in and year out mm -hmm. but I think that's why Albany was our rival uh, and uh, continues to be uh, because w there was a consistency. Um, we, were, we had strong squads year in and year out. And so those games were always a battle. Um, there was no love lost. And, you know, we, we had a bunch of uh, New York guys on our team. They had a bunch of you know, Maryland and uh, all kinds of different places people are coming from uh, on their team. But we, uh, yeah, I, we, Albany <laughs> was fun. They, those games were always uh, bruising. And, um, you know, these days when I see or meet up with somebody that is from Albany, like it's, uh, it makes it that much uh, better too to reminisce about you know uh, we hated you guys but uh, it's fun talking about it now uh, they were they were battles um, that's yeah Albany was uh, definitely the the conference rival yeah I mean they had some absolute I mean you you would you did as well but you know they had some studs for those that are a little bit younger I mean they had Merrick Thompson. They had Brett Queener. They had uh, who was it? Uh, who's that midfielder? Ryan. Yeah, Jordan Levine, and then they had Rest I mean, that was Rest the Rest oh, the and, and then they kind of had against um, both Rest the Yeah. <laughs> so you, well, and then the guy I coached with was uh, D was a defensive midfielder and an offensive midfielder, a kid by the name of Dwayne Stewart from Long Island. He played up there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they, they had a good run and then they, they had to, they took a couple years to rebuild and then they kind of got it back together. And, well, you know, Thompson's it was been hurt. 
Well, you know, you, well, people don't remember that Lyle played midfield for, you know, his freshman year and he wore number zero. So um, once things kind of kind of changed up a little bit, um, you know, they, they were, you know, listen, it took some time, but it was a great time for that conference. I mean, like you said, it's still a great time because the conference is awesome top to bottom, but it's like a lot of teams that have a similar makeup. I mean, they're all scrappy blue collar teams like they, 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 they it's kind of like what you said about recruiting for your place, like nobody like most teams if you're good you know they don't try to hide away from their identity I never ever felt like like UMBC always knew who they were Albany knows who they are um and I think that's why both programs have had success well I'll tell you this too and I you know (laughs) I certainly think that the rivalry was fueled or or uh stoked by um our coaches and mm-hmm. our identities on the field. You know, we were pretty controlled uh, with how Zim likes to play. And uh, Coach Marr, you know, is well known for being a little bit more loose with their style of play and, um, you know, and their personal yep. relationship. I, I, I don't yeah. want to misspeak, but I believe Coach Marr played for Zim at yeah. Hopkins. And, um, you know, uh, we we knew. I mean, I'm sure they felt it this in a similar way in their locker room. We knew when uh, there were when Coach Zim would get fired up about a certain opponent and uh, other coaches and stuff. You know, it it makes it fun, I think, and um, you know, that's that's the beauty of sport, right? And mm-hmm. All those little intricacies that uh, mean a little bit or, you know, they, they're different in retrospect and mean so much to the game uh, when you think about it in retrospect. And in the moment, you're, you don't really, uh, I don't know, at least for me, it, that's true. I, I, I was caught up in, you know, what was going on and what I was doing. And the big picture gets a lot more clear in the rear view uh, when you're thinking back on those things. I can't imagine playing for someone like Zimmerman. So <laughs> give, give us one, I don't know, moment, one memory you have of playing for coach Zimmerman and, and kind of describe his kind of impact on you as a player or coach. Oh, huge impact has been huge in my life. And, um, <clears throat> in ways that you don't realize. Um, I find, I, I talk to my teammates, uh, you know, uh, pretty frequently, and we always laugh about that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, um, Zimisms, that we would say, you know, the things that, I think that's true of a lot of coaches, uh, good, you know, the good coaches that uh, do this for a long time, um, they go back to the well. They say the same things because they work or because they stick in guys' heads. And I find myself doing the same thing um, and then laughing at it, you know, laughing at it on the car ride home or laughing at it when I'm talking to one of my teammates. Um, <clears throat> I loved playing. Uh, I, I loved my time at UMBC. I, I, I really, truly enjoyed it. Um, there were so many great memories. Um, I'd have to say, though, uh, probably one of the best ones was my freshman year. Um, 
you've beaten Maryland at their place first round in the NCAA tournament. Um, that, you know, I mean, the game itself, uh, Kevin Warren was our defensive coordinator that year. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, he only coached me for a year, but he had a major impact. And, uh, a lot of, it taught me a heck of a lot about the game and how to play it. And, um, that game was, we, we went in having played them and I don't remember the score of our regular season contest with those guys, but I'm pretty sure they kicked our teeth in pretty good. And, um, we, we, we just knew that we could had that game. Uh, we went, we went in with a great game plan. They had, um, a whole bunch of really good middies that year. And they ran a 31 offense, uh, counting from the top down. So three middies across the top. And they basically started everything they wanted to do from that part of the field. You know, the corners of the box, um, with sweeping or going down the alley, whatever it was. Um, and Coach Warren came up with a, a game plan of attacking what they wanted to do. And we did a pretty darn good job of implementing it. We knew that we could. And, um, uh, you know, that was a fun game for me. I, I made a couple of plays. I also screwed up a couple of times and, um, but you know, I was a freshman. I, I, even at the end of the year there, um, it was still, you know, I, I think I probably, I'm sure my coaches felt like I was, uh, you know, a headless chicken out there a lot of the time, you know, I, uh, but I was loving it. And, um, that game, the aftermath, the, the celebration, um, that was probably one of my most favorite memories. Uh, close second would be, um, when we beat Albany in the conference championship game, they had been up on us like 11 to two at halftime or something like that. Y'all can fact check me. It, it, uh, it was a bit, a pretty big gap. And, you know, we went in there and halftime in the locker room and, you know, coach Jim didn't, uh, we just stuck to our guns and he said, you know, one play at a time and, we just got to start making plays and winning ground balls and the little things. And, um, and we, we came back and won that game. Yeah. 14, 13. It was, that was an unreal uh, game as well. And that, that was a little bit different from me. What year was that? 2009? Eight. Eight. Yeah. That, uh, that was a great game. That was a great game. Um, that that Maryland game, I'm curious, who did your dad root for? Oh, <laughs> uh, he was pulling for us, I'm sure. Um, uh, Whichever team wins, right? Uh, you know, uh, it, you know, even to today, I think he uh, pulls his heartstrings. So I'm sure you guys saw this. You were yeah, a lot of my family. Uh, two of my sisters played lacrosse at UMBC, um, but my dad as well as a freshman. Um, he played on the 1980 national championship team at division two. And, um, then, then he transferred to college park that the summer after. And, uh, 
you know, it's funny. I, uh, I grew up, I'm sure I've got pictures of myself with, you know, uh, University of Maryland gear and, um, uh, there's plenty of stuff from my dad that's still around. And, um, but then we couldn't stand those guys at UMBC, uh, again, just a different, just different culture, different identities. And, um, uh, I, I had a blast at my time at UMBC, you know, it wasn't all easy. There was plenty of tough moments, but, um, I really did enjoy my time, enjoyed the guys that I was with, you know, there's a couple of them that I talk with pretty much every week. And, um, it's, uh, yeah, I'm thankful for all that. And I think that's part of why I enjoy coaching too. I mean, one of the things that I tell my guys more so than anything is how quick it goes by. And it's so hard to realize that when you're in the moment and then you get behind it and you try and tell these guys. So every year uh, I tell my guys, you know, your seniors, you've, you've heard this before, but now it's a lot more real to you. You know, in November, you're looking at uh, the season being around the corner and you're chomping at the bit, but don't let any day go by where you're not, you know, getting something out of it. And on down the line, you know, freshmen don't think it, that you've got all the time in the world because it certainly feels like that on the front end. Um, but it goes so quick and uh, and, and memories and, uh, and the lessons I've tried to take and apply them as a coach. And, uh, and definitely a lot of that is, is from coach Zim. Um, and yeah, it, I wouldn't trade it. Uh, um, I wouldn't trade any of it. And, uh, UMBC is a, a special kind of place. I don't think it's for everybody, um, but I really enjoyed the time that I had there and, and the guys that I was doing with were a big part of that. So listen, coach, um, we really, we really appreciate your time and your insight into the MCLA. And also, you know, we never talked to anybody that played for Zim before. So that was uh, mm -hmm. pretty, pretty interesting. But like you said, the UMC, UMBC is a special place for a special kind of person including the, the guys we talked about off, off camera. A little bit. So, uh, we appreciate your time. We really hope that we get, to, you know, that you get to have some kind of a season maybe, or, you know, at least that this is the last time we have to ever debate whether or not we're going to have lacrosse, but uh, yeah, no, I appreciate keep rocking that. the best uniforms in college lacrosse to, you know, That's it, across all levels. And, <laughs> you know, um, that's not, I can't take any credit for any of that. That's all our guys. They pick their own uh, apparel and um, they got good swag, man. Those guys, they can do it the right they way. They do a good job. They do a good job. Yeah, that black porthole mesh was that was a winner. I know High Point just got a lot of you know fame for having that, but USC no, that that's that's that as far as I know, that was the original one that I remember recently. So. When you, when you look good and you win the whole thing, man, that's pretty, that's, 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 that's it. Yeah. Wait, are you, you guys still on the, are you guys still the, yeah, you guys are the still, are you the defending champs? Uh, 2018? I, I, I guess you could say that. I don't like <laughs> thinking that. Uh, um, and we have, you know, Oh, one of the things that's most frustrating for me right now about this whole pandemic issue is that our last time out, and I know this is true for our guys too. Our last time out, we dropped two. 
and um, uh, leaves a sour taste in your mouth. And, uh, you know, I, I hope and I think for the most part I, from the guys I've talked to, it's had an extra, you know, giving them an extra gear when they are putting in the work this off season and all the rest. But uh, man, I can't wait to wait to wash that taste out of my mouth and uh, we'll be ready whenever the time comes. Sounds good, coach. Well, we really it, appreciate dude. your time and uh, we look forward to, uh, you know, watching some MCLA lacrosse. That's it, man. Thank you, fellas. Really, uh, genuinely uh, appreciate you having me on. I, I, uh, I feel uh, imposter syndrome with the roster of folks that you've had through. So uh, <laughs> thanks very much for inviting me and uh, I've, I've enjoyed the conversation. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe, give us a review, and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Going Offsides.